Peacocks are done dancing, uh, your Miami Hurricanes are done, but thankfully the MLB regular season has yet to start. It is a new week on the Just Baseball Show. Today is Monday, March 28th, Jack McMullen, Arm Layton. We're dipping into the call-up content. We've got a prospect mailbag, and we've got the guy to do it. This is going to be awesome. Yeah, we've got you, and I'm glad I can uh, <laughs> I can chip in a little bit too. Uh, it's we were initially going to do the, the call-up mailbag and then i thought about it and i was like you know what like just because we have the call-up and, and as you brought this up too like we haven't done prospect a prospect episode on the just baseball show in a while and at the end of the day just baseball is the flagship that's the mothership and right. prospects are still a huge part of baseball so let's flex that muscle on the jb show a little bit well and what's great is you know if you're turning on spring training baseball you're listening to it on the radio you're watching it on tv you're just keeping tabs on the box score like you're seeing some names you might not know and you might have questions about matthew liberator's 95 mile an hour clothesline fastball that francisco lindor took for a ride you might have questions about what libby can do for them you might have questions we got a lot of Reds questions because uh, Clay Snowden brings in the Reds fans for us, oh which my. is awesome. Got a lot of questions about Lodolo Green, that type of thing. But the reality is, if you're a baseball fan and you wish on your team's success, unless you're the Dodgers, you're looking at the farm. And the Dodgers yeah. should look at the farm. It's a great farm. Yeah. But the Dodgers, it's almost just like, dude, trust me. Like, just, you know, then the next guys that come up are going to be probably good. Right. Uh, but yeah, there's like, there's there's a general interest in it. And what I've, what I've really grown to enjoy, and I think this is a newer evolution. And I think that's changed as one, we've seen baseball change to where you don't see the big leaguer for big leaguer deal often anymore. So prospects are the, uh, I would say the parallel to draft picks and in, in other sports. Right. right. Um, and then the other side of it is that you also are looking forward to the future. And then the third part of it is that there's way more coverage on it now with the prospect write-ups we do obviously the behemoths of baseball america prospectus fan graphs that goes on and on yeah. so it's turned into this really fun subset of like the aspect of baseball that i really enjoy so very excited a lot of awesome questions and also we did give the mailbag the boot from the call-up because we have a couple really exciting uh interviews lined up for this week and after seeing so much on the backfields uh, the last few days and the last few weeks, I wanted to get back into updating the Marlins top 10, which yeah. I'm excited to do with you because a lot of pitching still, but some interesting offensive guys too. You picked out a lot of the questions. So I'm excited to kind of hear what, what a lot of them were. I yeah. love the ceiling floor questions. I love the trade asset questions as well. I have a few topics that I wanted to talk about as well, because you talked about spring training today, Jack. Um, I was a maniac going from game to game. And there yeah. were a lot of cool prospect things going on on the spring training side of things that I want to talk about too. Well, what's really fun about that is like, you've got the backfields there. And I want to go back to your point about keeping tabs on the prospects and how it's a fun thing to do now because you have more information. Traditionally, baseball has been the one sport where their prized possession of the future drifts into obscurity, right? 
when the Pistons take Cade Cunningham first overall, he's playing on day one. Right away. I think Cade missed a couple of games. But like the NBA, like top five pick, they're playing right away. If you draft a quarterback first overall, they're playing week one. Everybody gets that immediate return, unless you're in the NHL with like the AHL setup. But, you know, sometimes guys just breeze through that. With Major League Baseball, if you draft Bryce Harper, this generational JUCO guy that graduated high school early, you're not going to see him in Washington for two years, at least. That's that's the toughest part, right? And I think that that's this is a whole another conversation you and I could have a whole podcast on. I still think that there's room in baseball and baseball coverage for more of these minor league games. I'm not talking every day, but the, the big ones, the big matchups of loaded lineup against sick pitcher and loaded lineup. I do think that there's more coverage and, and more interest there because the coolest thing, the last thing I'll say before we get into the questions is that instead of just having your draft picks, cause I always make the draft picks parallel. Yeah. The thing with the prospects is they're human beings that get better or worse, but you know, the guys that get better and make these leaps, you see the fifth round pick, the Steven Kwans of the world that now, I mean, he's not getting traded, but that's a guy that's a legitimate quote unquote, first round asset now that wasn't a first round pick. So what's cool is you have these, middling prospects that vest into these more valuable assets just by performing well you don't have that in other sports your draft pick is your draft pick you can acquire more but those don't change unless you have a pick swap which is a whole different thing so that's what i really like about it too is that your assets are ever changing in value and it's cool to follow yeah uh one more thing before we get into the questions here do you know reuters reuters is like the global news site they constantly pump out news stories they're like a conglomerate here um, so they just like, they, they grab everything from everywhere and do quick write-ups and just all funnel it into one big Twitter page that has like 30 million followers. And, and like, sometimes they're super behind the eight ball with sports or they don't know really how to prioritize sports. So like, I want to say it was in November or December of 2021, they tweeted out bucks take down sons to win nba championship i do remember you i remember you quote absolutely phenomenal so i just want to walk you through some of their last couple news stories that they tweeted out because they tweet out like eight in a 10 minute span uh archaeologists in egypt uncovered five ancient tombs dating to more than four thousand years ago okay um and then how about britain's sainsbury's faces shareholder vote on workers pay sounds pretty complex next one Spring training roundup, Aaron Judge powers Yankees past Pirates. <laughs> I kind of love that. It's just, and it all happened just... within four minutes. <laughs> he hit a bomb. It's on our Twitter. It's on our Twitter. Uh, I had to hear it from Peter because we, we put a Lindor home run. So we're like, oh, we had to put up a, uh, a Judge homer, dead center, 407. Uh, yeah, but before either of those, how about the Vladdy bomb the other way? Oh, that was nice. Yeah, I got to follow Reuters. I feel like that's just like a naturally funny thing. Yes. I always thought it was Reuters. I'll be honest. I think it's Reuters. Well, Although, I, I can't confirm right <clears throat> now we're recording a podcast. Yeah, no, it's okay. We'll, we'll say Reuters. Uh, I also saw, speaking of outdated things, I saw on my way driving back here, a D Gordon orange Marlins jersey. Phenomenal. And, and I told you, the, uh, the last time I saw an orange Marlins jersey was at the Pride Parade in, in New York, which I think is a spectacular use of that jersey. It's basically rainbow. It's cool. Perfect. Um, just saw some dude rocking a D Gordon Jersey on his walk. That's that's batting champion roided up D Gordon though. So, so know that. And then right after that, first time in my life, I've ever seen this, you know, it's one of those things that you don't realize you haven't seen until you've seen it. 
Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen a Great Dane defecating? Ah, uh, no. It's huge. That's all I'll say on that. That was so. It was, that was back to back. That was pretty crazy. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've seen Great Danes, but I, I've never seen them in the process of doing that. It was it was more jarring than I thought it would be. And yeah, I have two dogs. Like, like, I'm used to it. I got one right next to me right now. Yeah, um, but like it, it's kind of it's kind of like a human. Just, it's, just, just do it. it's just not supposed to be that long. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't imagine what it's like in the backyard. It's like landmines. That's crazy. <laughs> That's disgusting. Okay, questions now. Prospect mailbag. Just based speaking of show. disgusting, Mackenzie Gore last outing was yeah. great. There we go. I, I, I had speaking to- of defecating, Vladdy. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Uh, question one comes from Kazim the Dream Six, and I chose this question first. These are all from Twitter, by the way. You tweeted out a, a mailbag proposal. You got a bunch of replies there, and then we quote tweeted it from Just Baseball at Just BB Media. Kazim the Dream Six asked a very surface level question that I thought it would be really good if we just got your definition out there. How much does floor versus ceiling matter when ranking prospects? <laughs> Um, all right. So the episode will, will stick to question one and that this is, will be the entire episode. Um, I mean, no, look, I, I think it's a great question and one worth asking and not even to be like that, that asshole that like replies with a generality. Cause we'll get into specifics, but I mean, this is kind of what the whole struggle of prospect analysis in a nutshell is right. Like this is why one of the leading reasons why certain prospects are undervalued and overvalued. Um, I think negligence to risk at times, and then also uh, ignoring how high of a floor a guy has, which I have coined as the Ty France effect, yeah. um, which by the way, Vinny Pascantino is that new Ty France effect guy. I watched him have the most comfortable at bat against Blake Trinan and I'm in. Uh, but again, like that's a guy that's not getting considered to be in the same boat as a lot of other prospects. And that's something that I just had a conversation with some guys I really respect in the industry just two days ago over on, on the backfields about this exact thing, ironically. So I'm glad you picked this question out because it's like, okay, I know this guy is going to be very much, very likely this good, but there's a good chance this other guy can be way up here and be this good. Who would you rather have? And, and how do you rate those guys against each other? Uh, it's extremely challenging. And I think ultimately you have to weigh it out almost like a scale, right? And it's, I think you ignore risk in your initial look and just judge the player on how he is. And then, however that grades out, then you assess by risk. And I think that's kind of where we're at here. So if you see a guy that, let's say, is a 55 future value, and this is on the 2080 scale, uh, but he's lower risk, and a, and there's a guy that's you know, 60 future value and higher risk, we're going to go with the 55 guy above him in the ranking, even though he has a lower future value. I'm not trying to get too deep into it, but that's kind of how we look at it. It's, it's a big tiebreaker. It can matter, but it's still not going to be more than, you know, what the guy can do. Yeah. So I think just trying to condense that answer is you look at the difference between floor and ceiling, you find this median in between the two and whoever really has the higher median gets the edge. Exactly. Exactly. Right? So I'd almost, I'd almost say like you have to run it through almost like the a thousand scenarios of where this guy pans out and, and be honest with yourself. You know, when I look at somebody like Alec Thomas, there's about four scenarios that I can come up with him and they're all positive. 
It's just different positives. There's one that's the most negative, which is like utility guy, which is the worst case scenario. Yeah. So, so you have to like, look at all the outcomes on these guys. And that's why I always say, when I talk about a high risk guy, I don't just say high risk. I usually say a wide range of outcomes yes. because that's the most important thing. The median is, is really how you have to look at it. And it's hard to quantify, but you know, we're, we, we do our best with it. And that's why I think ultimately ceiling is the most important because you're trying to bet on your development system. You want to believe that you have, and that's the biggest thing, right? Like you believe that you develop well, any team is not going to tell you they don't develop well. So they see, that's why they chase ceiling. Uh, But there's very few players that have the dramatic high ceiling, low floor. And I know like Ellie De La Cruz, Jason Dominguez, or some of those guys, but usually you're gauging different, different medians. So it's tough, but it's a very fun conversation to have overall. A hundred percent. Next question though. You've got three guys at different stages of their development. All three are catchers. This question is from call underscore up underscore Blade, And it's a non Marlins question. What? Oh uh, yeah. Who is the best all around catcher between Gabriel Moreno, Diego Cartaya, Francisco Alvarez, and will any of them eventually move to first or DH given their hitting ability? Um, I'll, I'll give my two cents first, and then I'll hand you the keys to the Camaro. Um, I think if either of the three are going to move off the catching position, it's Cartaya simply because of the build. And, you know, maybe they want to go a different route there because it looks like Will Smith is the guy there for a long time, but they did just sign Freddie Freeman to a six year deal. And Cartaya, I mean, he hasn't done much in terms of, uh, sample size, but when he has been on the field, it was 10 bombs in 31 games yeah. in low A in 2021. So like the, the powers there, you got to get him in the lineup all the time. And if that's at first or DH, he's like 6'3", 220 with room yeah. to grow. So that feels like the guy, but you look at Moreno, Cartaya and Alvarez. I mean, all three are freaky good. I don't know if you can pick a best. I don't, I don't know if there's a way where I see any of those guys not catching. If I had to force the hand, it would be Cartaya or Alvarez, just because Alvarez could be so good offensively that you're like, what are we even doing with him back here? Like he, you could put him at first and his upside is still one of the best prospects in baseball, right? Like that's how good he is offensively. The best answer would be Cartaya just because he's the furthest off with talk about wide range of outcomes. He has the widest range of outcomes defensively too. Like Moreno has already shown that he can catch at least at an average level at the upper minors as a younger guy. Alvarez has shown no reason to believe that he can't catch. Uh, Cartaya gets a really high marks for the way he commands a ball game for his makeup and for his leadership, which is why I think they're going to keep him back there. But just because he's furthest off, that's probably the guy that I would say has the highest chance of moving off. But I think none of them will ultimately. And if I think if I'm picking the best all around catcher, it's, it's just going to be Alvarez just because he's so freakish with the bat. Like Moreno is technically more balanced across the board, but Alvarez doesn't have a liability and he is the freakishly most ridiculous offensive catching prospect. I think outside Adley Rutschman that we've seen in a very long time. Well, he's also got a hose. Alvarez has a hose and he just hit a ball 440 in big league spring training a couple days ago. Yeah. Yeah. Legit 440. That's why you say well-rounded. Like the problem is Alvarez doesn't have a, a hole in his game. 
but technically I guess Moreno would have the, the higher tools across the board. Right. Like if you were to, if you were to say one super balanced and one is more offensive centric, Moreno's the balanced one. Yeah. But, and, and Cartaya, it's just too early too right early. now. Again, 10 bombs in 31 games. Stupid. 31 games in full season ball. Can't really do much with that. Yeah. So, I mean, Alvarez to me is going to be the number one prospect in baseball. Uh, Like, because think about it. You have, you have. This is the guy that makes the list. (laughs) This is, it's going to be him, Volpe, or depending on, because you look at everybody else ahead of him real quick before we move on to the next question. Bobby Wood Jr., Julio Rodriguez, Adley Rutschman should all graduate this season if they don't Early. either they're injured or something's something's wrong. Malpractice. Um, yeah, or something crazy's happening. Grayson Rodriguez shouldn't be far off from graduating, and you know Riley Green. Uh, if I didn't just say and that. And Torkelson. And Torkelson. So those are all the guys that we have in that range, and yeah. and I think we have we have uh, Alvarez right in the middle of those guys. So there's a legit chance that that guy's the number one prospect in baseball. This is going to be a great rookie year in terms of like who's oh. coming up this year. This is going to be a loaded rookie class. Oh my gosh. Cause you had some guys delayed a year that would have been up last year. And then you have the normal guys that would have been ready to go this year that are going to be ready to go. This is going to be one of the most fun rookie classes we've seen. Maybe, maybe ever. I'm not even kidding. Damn. I'm with it. Uh, another guy that could be part of this rookie class. Joshua D Landis asked, has Mackenzie Gore proven he is back from the yips with this solid spring training and deserving slash ready to potentially be the fifth man in the Padres rotation, or do you need to see more? Another part of the question, how much do you think Niebla, that's Ruben Niebla, the new Padres pitching coach, played a factor into this bounce back spring? I'll answer that question first, and then I'll throw it to you for the front half of that question. Ruben Niebla was hired as the Padres pitching coach. He spent a long time with Cleveland and Ruben Niebla had a lot to do with a lot of these Cleveland pitchers progression. He was the assistant pitching coach uh, in 2019 and 2020 uh, and 2021. Maybe he got hired at the end of 2019 with Cleveland. And then the Padres just picked him up end of October of 2021. You got to remember Niebla was hired October 27th of 2021 the MLB lockout went in play December 1st of 2021 and yeah. Mackenzie Gore was a protected 40 man player. Yeah. So they didn't get to interact for 99 days. If there have been any changes this spring, then yeah, give him some credit. But for the most part, this was Mackenzie Gore figuring the shit out on his own. I, I totally agree. Or, or they were breaking some rules, um, which at that <laughs> point, Nieva is not taking the credit anyways, because it's self-incriminating. So, yep. <laughs> I, you, you know, I, I think, uh, I think, like you said, it, it seemed like he he had it wasn't injury related for from what it seems like, and as far as we know, uh, and what the Padres have provided, which is nothing. No. Uh, and, and his velo was never really significantly down for an extended period of time. There was multiple starts where we'd see it down, but they'd let him run, so it kind of tells you it wasn't an injury. I think he just had to get his mind right, uh, and he had to get confident. And I think that that needed to be done in a setting where there's not any pressure. Think about where this all started. This all started on the backfield, not the backfields, excuse me, the alternate training site with the whole big league team where You're people were starting away. to say, people were tar- starting to say, is Gore going to come up and help us? Pitchers are falling, like dropping like flies at the big league level in this COVID season. Everyone's like, where's Gore? Where's Gore? Where's Gore? Where's Gore? And he's 
trying to pitch on, at the alternate training set against all big leaguers and trying to prove that he can belong there. That can wear you down mentally. And then you got to go out and play in the minor league season after not having a season. Well, and think about that. In 2020, Patino got the call. Weathers got the call all before Gore. Weathers was a high school draftee. I want to say he's like three years younger than Mackenzie Gore. Yep. And Gore is probably looking at that like, fuck, 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 fuck. I got to get up there right now. Mm -hmm. And that is so bad for your psyche. Um, I'm going to make my pitch for why Gore should be the five right away. <laughs> he started 2021 in El Paso in AAA and he got shelled and that derailed 2021. Joshua said the word yips. I don't know if it was the, if, if it was the yips, I don't know like what it was from what we've understood. It's a lot of mental blockage there, but you, you start off and you suck in AAA in 2021, that throws your entire year off. Ride the hot hand right now. If he sucks at the big league level, send him back to AAA and see if he's got it there. What's but if the he mental starts, I, I say this like knowing the cons here, if he starts in AAA and is volatile, we might go through the same shit again. Well, if you can't pitch in AAA, you can't pitch in the banks, right? I, I, I think there's, I hear you. I'm just like, you want to send him up there full pressure, full bore, and and deal with all that. Not to mention that he needs to build up, and why not just do that in AAA? I, I would like to see him start in AAA. I, I would. But I will say, I tweeted this the other day, um, and, and you know, you clued me into just how dominant he was, so I went back and watched it. He hit 99 several times. He's been averaging 96 miles per hour on his fastball. His slider, curveball, and changeup are all up as well. So his VLO is up across the board so he's feeling good um he was hitting his spots so velo bump and hitting his spots he looks good so stuff. in control if, dude. If, if that's the case jack he's gonna carve the hell up in triple a yeah. let him go do that for a few starts <laughs> build himself up and then go up to the big leagues yeah like, why I mean, why just say hey man that was a nice stretch of 10 innings let's go to the big leagues and, and traumatize you again and, and throw you under the bus like <sighs> let this kid have some victory moments dominate in triple for five starts, build up, stretch out, and then go. Starting in AAA is so obviously the right answer, but I just okay. want him to be at Petco immediately. Like, there's no question in my mind that starting in El Paso is the right answer. Thank um, you. <laughs> before I get too deep into my own head, uh, question four comes from OG Ghost. How about OG Ghost? Uh, what do you think George Kirby's ceiling is? And with the Mariners' big three starters, Gilbert, Kirby, Hancock, how high do you feel on them as a unit? I feel so high on them. You and I were just texting about these guys. Right. I mean, OG Ghost didn't even name Matt Brash in that three. And Brash looked disgusting yesterday. Yeah. So, honestly, Gilbert is, is I think Gilbert and Kirby are, are the highest floor because these are two guys with great fastball command already. Kirby is a guy that throws triple digits. Uh, Gilbert got better and better as the year went on. And I think he's looked really good out of the gate so far. Gilbert's going to be good. Gilbert is more Joe Ryan-esque to me though. It's like invisible fastball and just good enough stuff with good command. Like yeah. that, that's the guy to me, high floor, lower ceiling. If we're talking about that Kirby, insane command of hundred miles per hour. Uh, secondaries are average and that's, that's the, the issue quote unquote, it's not really an issue because he's been fine. Secondaries seem to be getting a bit better. 
Um, he has the higher ceiling because he commands 100 instead of, you know, Gilbert commanding 95. And it's not controlling. It's not controlling 100. It's commanding, commanding. 100. I ju- you want to put Washington that thing on a dime in the lower outside corner? Kirby's got you with 100. 100%. Absolutely. My issue was I was actually just watching him today. And I was like, how is he getting lefties out? You know, he, 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 he was able to blow by him a few times. Uh, but without, without a really solid changeup, that's going to be the struggle. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I want to see that progress. He's going to start in, in the upper minors and we'll go from there. Hancock, I'm a little surprised that his swing and miss numbers haven't been as good as, the, as, as we've expected. I still think he's going to be good, but he doesn't have the command that the other two have. So, right. you know, he needs to see his swing and miss numbers improve. And I think the best of the whole bunch is Matt freaking Brash. Because yeah. Matt freaking Brash, oh my gosh, was he discussing today? I, I mean, when did I first bring him up on the JB show? It was like, shoot, like six months. No, maybe long. Maybe almost. It maybe might have been June. Ago. It might have been because we had people June. tweeting at us like, who is that guy? And then they, a, a few clips started going out and they're like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> this guy? Like no one had heard of him. And honestly, I just kind of stumbled upon one of his starts. And that's what really got me into it after the trade. His slider is one of the best in the minor leagues, period. It's a big league plus, plus pitch now. Yeah. But Jack, he's figured out how to throw strikes. And, and that was the biggest question. And he throws it from like this, this low release point. It just takes off 22 pitches today for Matt Brash against big league bats, 22 strikes. No way. Mm-hmm. No way. Fairly positive. Oh my God. He's here. And I, I saw and- some video of the slider too. Like it, it looked so strong. I spoke to scouts uh, recently about this actually. Um, and you never know what you're going to get from, from, from scouts. And uh, you got to take some of it with a grain of salt, but w- one of them felt very confident uh, that, that Kirby would be in the rotation early in the year. Yeah. I mean, sorry, not, not Kirby, excuse me. Brash would be in the rotation. Let me, let me rephrase that. Well, Kirby should be there early. Kirby in the should too. be too, but they felt very confident that Brash would be the first guy to crack that rotation and that he will, that the plan is to have him in the rotation very soon. Um, I'm, I'm in. So to answer the question, the guy with the highest ceiling is not the one you asked about, but out of those, that trio, I'd say Kirby is the highest ceiling, then Hancock, then Gilbert. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Yes, I'm with you. I'm going to give you a player for Kirby's ceiling because I mentioned it a couple months ago on this show. Um, what Zach Wheeler just did mm-hmm. is what Kirby's ceiling is. I agree. I like that a lot. Insanely low walk rate, pinpoint command of a freaking hard fastball, and every breaking pitch is tight. It's not necessarily, you know, like the nastiest slider in the game, but it's a tight slider that can get outs. It's not the best, but it, but it doesn't complements hang it. the fastball and just it doesn't don't hang. hang. Just don't hang it. Yeah. And if, you, if you're going east west with the fastball, meaning inside, outside to righties or, you know, lefties that's the most important thing. If the, if the breaking ball is above average and you have a, a show me third pitch, you're in business. Uh, so yeah, I'm with you on that. And I think we're on the same page there. What a wealth of arms they have over Stupid. there. It's just, it's just unfair. Stupid. Um, that was the first of a slew of ceiling floor questions. Uh-huh. Um, so we're going to do this. I know you love doing the player comps and the ceiling floors. You, uh, we got a little bit of this. Love player comps. <laughs> Uh, question five comes from Mize up next. So I think you know where this is going. <laughs> you just pulled the, you just pulled the, the question could have literally been just Jack McMullen suck. I think yes. And you would have pulled that question just because it's 
at Mize up next. I think so, because I do think Mize is up next. Uh, Mize up next question. What player comparisons do you believe are the floors and ceilings for Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green? I think this is a really good question, and I had to do some serious thinking about these. I'm going to go first. I'm going to buy you some time. Let's start with Spencer Torkelson, because Tork is really solid hitter that lacks defensive identity. He could be a meh third baseman. He could be a good first baseman. Yeah. Um, The floor, I think, is Matt Adams. Like, he's just going to hit hard. Like, Matt Adams is a career 260-ish batting average, averaging around 25 bombs. That is the bare minimum of what you're going to get from Spencer Torkelson. The ceiling is Miguel Cabrera, Tigers fans. Like, you're going to get the best hitter in baseball and a Hall of Fame caliber hitter. Yeah. I I think the floor... The f- Matt Adams is such a name I was not expecting to hear uh, on this podcast. But I was thinking like, okay, it's not Mark Reynolds because Mark Reynolds struck out all the time. Like Torkelson's got a better bat than that. Yeah, Tork Tork will surprise you with a little bit of zone whiff, but zone whiff isn't the worst thing in the world. Like when you're able to do what Tork still does, right? He sells out early in the count, and and he's still he's he, he's he's also a very rhythmic as you've seen kind of hitter yeah. uh, that just usually just needs a little bit of time a few weeks into the season and then starts getting starts getting right and starts getting more comfortable yeah i think if all goes to shit he's something like a mad adams type but you, you it can probably people are probably thinking of a bunch of other hard-hitting outfielders or, or first basemen that just didn't quite hit that ceiling that that we were hoping for um you know i i definitely think that's the worst case scenario which is much less likely i think he's like if you look at a spencer torgelson he's much more likely to hit his 90th percentile outcome then it's 20th percentile he's one of the highest floor prospects that's what i'm saying he's he's lower risk uh because of that bat i i I think the ceiling you you got the floor i think the ceiling's like nelson cruz ish a little bit more of a and and again i'm just thinking about the offensive output right cruz doesn't strike out that much like and i'm talking second half of his career cruz and that's why i think people are like oh well we're hoping it'll be better than cruz imagine if cruz did that for for 15 straight he's, years he's a hall of famer he's a shoe yeah. in hall of and Famer. didn't juice right like so right. That, that that's what i look at with with him like imagine cruz at first base miggy the only thing with miggy for me is is i don't know if i necessarily see like i think vladdy's closer to that like because it's it's like the swing and miss is a little bit more prominent. I don't hate the comp. Like I'm I'm splitting hairs here, but yeah. I lean a little bit more Nelson Cruz, just a little bit more prominent swing and miss. Uh, but the power, dude. And I think a little bit more power. Like Miggy's not a guy that's hitting you 45, 50. Right. He's hitting 330 with 35 and or, or maybe 40 and a lot of ribbies. Like I think Torque, if it all goes right, is hitting you can hit you 50. So how about how about Pete Alonzo? That's that's a great one. That's a great yeah. one. Pete Alonso right? is a great one. Pete Alonso, I we talked about it uh, in our top 10 first baseman last week. Alonso lowered the K rate from 25% in his 53 homer season to under 20%. It was like 19.6 this past year, and he hit 37 bombs. Like that yeah. is what torque could be. That's probably the best one. Yeah, I would say I would say Pete Alonso. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Uh Riley Green. Um the floor has, I feel like the floor is Andrew Benintendi as of late. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Like that's just, he'll give you a 0.0 war season. Now his ceiling, Christian Yelich. Okay. 
I get the 20 stolen bases. You get the 30 bombs possibly, and you get 300. So I'll give you the, the, the middle percentile outcome too. So what I think is like the possible middle to higher outcome is, and not ceiling is, is Michael Brantley. I see a lot of Michael Brantley, but I said a little bit more power and a little bit, I think a little bit more power and a little bit more swing and miss though. Yeah. He won't that, hit that's 330 thing. like Brantley. Yeah. No, but he can, he can flirt with the threes and, you know, I just look lefty bat athletic, sneaky, sneaky, athletic sprays the ball. Good power. Like he, he'll have more power though than, than Brantley, I think in, in that outcome. But that's another one that I think looks really similar. Um, yeah. I mean, if it all goes right, you're looking at a Yelich, you know, I think yeah. if it all goes right. Um, if it all goes wrong, He's a tough one because if you put him in a corner, I think he's an above average defender. Yeah. Um, like Ben attendee is, I still think when he, if he's not a great hitter for whatever weird reason, and we're all wrong as hell, he's going to have a little bit more power than Ben attendee. So it's tough to even pinpoint one, but I think that's a good four. I would be, I would say slightly better than Ben attendee as his four, which is so, crazy. Which and is because crazy. of the, because of the build too, what about like Jason Hayward as of late and like Hayward, you know, contractually speaking sucks, right? Yeah. You would never pay Jason Hayward as of late 23 million bucks a year. But if Hayward were making two and a half or three, you'd be like, okay, yeah, this is pretty solid production. You've got a really good glove. You've got a big boy uh, and you've got somebody that can hit 20 to 25. Yeah, I mean, dude, Hayward contractually not good, but he's been a guy that's given you a multiple war in the last few years. Yeah, you know, like about that's two what Riley every year. floor is. Yeah, he's like two war every year. Like, it would um, be a lot worse than that. Here's another one I know you're going to love. Matt Too Frosty asked about Nolan Gorman's ceiling. <laughs> My answer to that. It's high. It is high. It's high? I think the ceiling is. Yeah, so the ceiling for me is whatever Gavin Lux's ceiling was and is. Like, I don't, I don't know. Not like, it's Dan Ugla with no swing and miss. <laughs> Like I, I think the ceiling for for Gorman is is a second baseman or eventual third baseman that can hit you thirty five home runs like and hit two eighty like that. There's that's the best case scenario. Jeff this Kemp. is where we're weighing. Here's where you weigh risk versus ceiling. Right. The only reason or the main reason why Gorman is not as high on our list is that I think the risk is way higher than a lot of other outlets think the risk is. That's what's yeah. separating. Ceiling, you have no debates from me. The power is legit. He has shown that already. He's put up power numbers. He's a hard worker, which which hedges some of the risk, but can't hit lefties, blown up by Velo. I think, and not really a great defender at any spot, but I, I can acknowledge the ceiling of 30-plus home runs without a problem with a left-handed bat that's working hard and continuing to try to make swing adjustments. Yeah, I mean it's tough. I like how many power left-handed hitting power guys that are now getting moved to second base are there, right? Like there's not that many. Like Like all the guys that I thought of when I was like, okay, who fits that mold? It's like Nolan Gorman, Gavin Lux, Michael Bush. And like they have combined however many at bats in, in major league baseball as Gavin Lux has. You know what the the absolute ceiling is? And I think he has a very low chance of hitting this ceiling is, is Brandon Lau. Not very low. He's a lower chance fitting. Brandon Lau. Yeah. That's that's the ceiling is Brandon Lau. A ton of home runs, plenty of swing and miss. Still iffy platoon splits. Here's what Brandon Lau hit last year. 247, 345, 23 with 39 pumps. 
27% K rate. That is the, that, that's, I think to a T actually. That's exactly what Gorman's ceiling is. You're right. And, and um, you know what, dude, I'm super hard on him, but he's so young. Like he could repeat triple a yeah. two more times right. and be like on normal track. So, you know, the Cardinals have been very aggressive with the assignment. I, I actually was just on the Cardinals backfields and another conversation I was having was about how hard Gorman's been working on swing adjustments and just improving overall. So yeah, the floor though, the floor is a guy that can't hit. Like that's the thing. The floor is what I, I'll give you the floor. Actually it's, it's Josh Naylor. Like that's, that's the floor is Josh Naylor. Um, so th- that's what it, Josh Naylor to Brandon Lau. Like that's how wide the ranges are. Okay. Uh, next one comes from Ethan Fulkerson one. Reds prospect Ellie De La Cruz. Mm-hmm. When do you expect him to make the big league team and any comparisons to current major league baseball players? I hope I'm still alive by the time he debuts. Um, but he's far off, but he's so fun. 25. Uh, yeah. 25. You know, maybe he could light it up and, and get you, get you there and tw- get there in 24. Is there, okay. L- let me explain to you the profile, Jack. And then you tell me. If there's a player like this. Yeah, I, I did a dive. Switch hitter with plus plus speed, plus plus raw power, and uh, a plus plus arm. And this isn't me hyperbolizing. I'm, I'm telling you. And I've, I've ran this by as many people as I could that have seen them with their own eyes. Uh, he has legit re- triple digits arm across the infield. He runs off the charts and he's already putting up 113 exit velos and he's 150 pounds. Yeah. So I think in, in terms of the sex appeal of getting you to the ballpark or getting the TV set on to watch Ellie De La Cruz, it's 2018 Javi Baez, but a switch hitter. 2018 Javi Baez. That's so specific. But right, like, do you remember was- how magic Baez was that year? He finished oh, he was- second or third in MVP voting. Yeah, he was, he was, he was stupid. I think that's a, that's a fair one. The arm was dumb. The, the arm is like Correa level. Um, it's triple digits across the diamond. It's not Correa, but like it's the closest thing to Correa, I think. Um, and then Baez was also like 34 homers, 111 driven in. And oh, by the way, you could swipe bags and look so sick while doing it. Yeah, that, that's the thing too. Is like De La Cruz can do all of those things. Yeah, I would say, and people like scoff at Javi Baez because it just it's like there's like he's a polarizing player. But yeah, that singular season. Imagine if Javi could repeat that. Like that's what we would imagine uh, Ellie De La Cruz could be. Looking at that 2018 season, it was a 5.4 war guy, F4 guy, 34 pumps, 21 stolen bases, 290, 326, five. Yeah, that's pretty to a T. Yeah. Ellie Cruz walks 4.8% of the time. Baez walked like 5% of the time yes. that year. That's the thing. Ellie I, I, Cruz in low A walked 4.8% of the time. I kid you not, anybody who listens to this podcast, whether you ever have wielded a baseball bat or not, would walk 5% of the time in low A. I'm not kidding. Jack, you could back this up. I could absolutely back this up. If you up. stand I mean, there with your bat on your shoulder, you will walk 5% dude, of the time. There were times in Fort Wayne this past summer where I was sitting there Which for was like high a, four hours. Yeah, that's high A. There were times where I was sitting there for like four hours like, oh my God, we've gone about 25 minutes without a ball in play because these guys cannot throw strikes. Correct. I, I was just, I just saw my walk rate. I just saw my wonderful 86-year-old grandfather, George, and <laughs> – 
Grandpa George would would rack up a nice little five six percent walk rate in low way. I can absolutely. Promise. He's just got to do the David Eckstein batting stance where he just crouches. <laughs> oh, then he might get seven. <laughs> he might get up to seven or eight. Um, all right, next one is from our guy Javier Reyes at Jalapeno. Oh, uh, it, it was a good question. I had to include it. I'm nah, sorry. No, I'm kidding. I, I this love one, <laughs> this I one's love for Javi. you, Javi. And he's the one. He's the only guy on our staff that actually listens to everybody, like all, all, most of the episodes. Ah, uh, Clay Snowden. Well, we got to give Clay some. Oh, Clay, Clay Snowden is a serial podcast listener. I, I appreciate you, Clay. And then of course Ben Bolotti listens to a ton. Um, yeah, yeah. But Javi, Javi's up there. Yeah. Hundred uh, percent. Javi's question: Do you think it's worth it for the Padres to attach one of their top tier prospects, Abrams, Hassel, Camposano, Gore, in order to deal Hosmer, or do they just need to hang tight? My answer to that is no. You gotta. You have to eat it. I agree. I agree. Unless their only hope was the Mariners, I think, with some sort of weird deal like that. I think the only other hope is the Rockies, which I think the Rockies already did their their salary dump deal or like their, no, their salary, salary acquisition. Yeah, that's deal. what I mean. Yeah. yeah, where they went and got Randall Gritchick. The the osmosis salary osmosis deal where they just absorb it all like that, that and they only absorbed half of it. But we it, like that, spending that, stupid money. <laughs> yeah, that that nullifies the point. So, right. but we won't talk about that. Like. I don't see a team that's taking a light hitting first baseman uh, with his contract situation. What I will say though, is this Eric Hosmer is not good. He's not that bad. He's not good. He's not, he's not a guy that you are actually compromising your team's ability to win by putting him out there every day. You hear that, the, problem, the problem is he plays first base, which is a premium offensive position. He had a one Oh two WRC plus last year, Jack, like 270, 340. I'm rounding up. 269, 337, 395 slash line. I called myself out there. I was rounding up, but yeah. that's not the worst thing in the world. And especially if you're going to have to attach a prospect or you could just keep him as a bat off the bench that ends up, you know, running into 400, 350, 400 plate appearances. He's not the worst ever. And guys like him in the clubhouse and he was good in 2020. Like, are we sure he won't bounce back this year? It's not like he's been a disgrace for the last four seasons in a row like he was inconsistent a little bit before i i don't think it's worth attaching a prospect unless the deal makes sense and you're getting another asset that makes sense for you if you're dumping just to dump his contract isn't that bad i would rather try to part with like a will myers or somebody else which i think a team might be more receptive to yeah 100 um i also don't think that the first base dh uh combination of eric hosmer and luke voigt is terrible no. i I enjoy Voight. I very much enjoy Voight. Uh, and I think Hosmer has something left in the tank. What that is, I have no idea, but you heard it here, Javi. Um, we're just giving you shit because Eric Hosmer's on the team that you follow. If he's your nine hitter, are you, are you, are you crying? No, I'm not crying, but like for, okay. For the paycheck. Yes. Oh. I'm crying. Yes. Yes. But it's not like, okay, you clear that money up. Now what, what, what are the Padres doing? Uh, resign Musgrove, extend them. They can do that anyway. So, so I think they'll find a way to have that flexibility. I would not attach any, and I like that Javi specified the prospects for the sake of argument. Let's just talk about it from this lens. There's no shot in hell I'm trading Abrams. There's no shot in hell I'm trading Robert Hassel. And there's no shot in hell I'm selling low on Gore right now, especially after what we've seen. If there's one guy I might trade, it's Camposano. And you know, I'm higher on him than you are. I still would rather not deal him. Um, 
that there's no scenario where I'd really want to do that. Especially because Nola's never looked good. Like no. your three catching options right now are, are not good options compared to Camposano and Nola, Caratini, and Alfaro. Yeah. Totally. Uh, next one from Trans Cincy Fan. What do y'all think the ceiling is for Hunter Green and Dowry Moretta? That's a very interesting name. Uh, and do you think Alejo Lopez will get a legit chance for the Reds? Hunter Green, we talked about the ceiling. <laughs> like you said on, you say it on the call up. Hunter yeah. Green, it, like if you're going to look at anybody in baseball current, currently at the big league level or uh, within the minor league ranks that can get anywhere close to DeGrom type dominance and DeGrom type stuff, it's Hunter Green. Yeah. There's no combination of triple digits and athleticism uh, that in the minor leagues, pitching wise or major leagues, <clears throat> really. Uh, then what Hunter Green gives you. I, I don't know if there's athleticism and, and velo like that anywhere else. So yeah, I, that guy's ceiling is the best in baseball, uh, which is, which is absurd to say, but, but it's the case. Moretta is, is a name that I did not think would be asked adjacent to Hunter Green. Yeah, me neither. Um, And frankly, a guy that I had to dig a little bit deeper just to get a fresh look at, you know what I think Moretta's ceiling is though, dude, is, is, is a legit closer. Like, like a legit it. big league closer. I, I like I it. Think, He's got think, nasty stuff. And I mean, you see it in the ERA numbers in 2021. You see Chattanooga, you see um, uh, AAA, um, Louisville, Louisville, Chattanooga and Louisville. Like he put up, I want to say like a sub two ERA at both stops. Now the, the fastball has got one of those unique profiles. Looks like it's rising really, really tough to pick up. Nobody hit it in the minors. Uh, crazy strikeout numbers all the way through. He had those numbers taper off a little bit in triple. Um, so that's something to follow, but it wasn't like his walk rates jumped or anything like that. And it was a relatively small sample size. He was the closer in triple. Um, so I think this is a guy that actually could be a very important bullpen arm for them this year, because we know they could use a little bit of help there, though they did improve it with some quiet moves here and there. Um, yeah, I think the ceiling is, is lights out closer. Most likely scenario is, a solid seventh inning guy, I think. I think that's very possible. 100%. And you lost your seventh inning guy uh, this year with the trade. Mike Miner coming to Cincinnati for Amir Garrett going to Kansas City. Yep. Um, total brain fart for me on Cincinnati's AAA affiliate. That, that's my jam, man. This is a yeah, rough start I'm surprised to the week. you missed that. Yeah, it was brutal. Um, and then the last part of that question, do you think Aleo Lopez will get a legit chance for the Reds? My answer to that is probably no, because it's Barrero's position. I would say define legit chance. <laughs> Right. Um, like, because he's got some me, backup opportunities that to me, that's a legit chance for him. Like, yeah. a, a legit chance for Alejo Lopez is, is a, a full-time bench role where he ends up with 300 and 350 plate appearances. Right. Especially, that's pretty in, solid. especially in the game today where, you know, I think again, with, we saw the injuries last year, we saw uh, an, again, a, a little bit of a wonky schedule. I would assume that, you know, John India is going to get a day off here and there. Uh, you know, the, the, the whole infield is going to get days off here and there. That's where Lopez could come in. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair shot for him. If you're expecting Alejo Lopez to be a regular, um, then no, he's never going to get what, what a fair shot would be through that lens. Yep. Uh, this one from Pinstripe Pals. Oh. <laughs> do you want me to ask it or do you want us to skip it? No, nah, I, I just had to give that reaction. <laughs> the Yankees have a ton of prospects on the way up. And at the major league level, they have a lot of stop gaps on the roster. What prospects, if any, this season can make a big impact on the Yankees major league roster? That's a good question because a lot of the guys that we look at with the Yankees 
are far off. When you see Volpe, when you see Peraza, when you see Dominguez, when you see I, a bunch of other people like that, um, you think about all the guys that are far away. Who's ready in 2022? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, what, what I really like about that, and, and honestly, I would say you're right, except for Peraza. I think Peraza, if, if there was a scenario where, you know, God forbid IKF gets hurt, somebody else gets hurt, Peraza could get that quick bump up and, and get an opportunity there because the glove is ready now. So I think you could justify it where it's like, we're rushing him a little bit, but he's hitting ninth for us and he's going to pick it. And if he hits a little bit, then he hits, if he doesn't, you know, he'll get us through it instead of just trying to panic trade for somebody. Uh, But, but as it pertains to really being able to help right now, the guy that I would bet uh, number one, uh, who who I think, and I'm going to butcher his freaking name. uh, I hope I say it right. Ron Marinaccio. Ron Marinaccio. You got it. Marinaccio. Oh my gosh. Is he gross? Ron Marinaccio is gross. He's been gross in spring training. I get texts from some players I know that work out with him. And they're like, dude, Ron Marinaccio is a freak show. His changeup is so nasty that it looks like a lefty slider. If you look at his strikeout numbers, he is disgusting. I think he'll be in the bullpen. If he's not, if he doesn't break camp, I think with the expanded roster, he might break camp. If, if people don't know, rosters have been expanded to 28 for this year to accommodate, you know, the craziness. I could see him being one of the contributors. I know that's not the most exciting answer in the world. Um, on the starting pitching side, Hayden Wesneski is a guy that's not too far off. His slider looks insane so far this spring training. He could be in that, that long relief bullpen role or get a spot start here and there. That's a guy that I think could end up contributing. And then, you know, I'm not going to say Clark Schmidt because he's already been up there. One other guy to watch, Ken Waldachuk. Yeah. I'm higher on Waldachuk, I think, than, than most of the industry. He's a guy that throws that invisible fastball ton of riding action, really good changeup. That fastball changeup combination, I think, is big league ready now, working on continuing the third pitch. When, but what, how often do you hear, oh, the third pitch needs to be a better breaking ball? Like that's, that's like a breath of fresh air, Jack. Yeah. Oh, he just needs to get the breaking ball a little bit tighter. Fine. That's so much easier than it's so changeup. much easier than you need to try to figure out how to throw a pitch where, hold on, I'm grabbing this stress ball you have to hold it like this and right. throw it so like, like how do you do that you got to put your fingers all like this contort them and throw it right over 60 feet six inches over this whatever how Dude. 12 inch plate what is it i, I, I don't mm, like that 12. that's 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 where i'm at there and then one other guy that i definitely think can contribute on the offensive side Oswaldo cabrera we saw him added to the 40 man protect from the rule five already homered in spring training switch hitter like his swing way better from the left side but he can play all over the infield can play the outfield. That's a super utility guy that the second someone goes down, I think that's the guy they'll actually call on first. Yeah. Um, Four arms, right? Like going from highest probability of them being in the Bronx at some point to the lowest probability. Although I think it's, you know, high for all four of these guys. I mean, heel and Davey Garcia, obviously like they got to be there, but I mean, they're still considered prospects for the most part. Um, I, I'm with you on Waldachuk. Another guy, I think Luis Medina can be a bullpen arm for them if, if they find themselves contending. Because listen, 102 is 102, man. Like, I know you got some shit you got to iron out there, but if 102 is available in Scranton Wilkesbury, like, go get it. Go bring it to the Bronx. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I just wonder if they, if you have someone like Marinaccio carving in, in a relief role in AAA, yeah, go get him. Yeah, just go get him and, and try to keep developing Medina. But I, I agree. If, if the if the Yankees are feeling it and they need a, a 
an arm back there. And the, I think that Medina is going to take that Dylan Batances route anyways, right? Yeah. Failed starter. By the time Medina is a, a widely known name, if that ever happens, it'll be a fun fact that he was a starter to like the casual fan, right? Like I remember when, I remember when people were like, oh yeah, did you know Dylan Batances was a starter originally? And I was like, really? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know. I was like, okay. <laughs> like, uh, I had no idea. Two more. These are bigger picture ones that I really enjoy. First one from Chewing Cast. What to make of prospects that are a few years removed from top 100 lists, but have yet to really take off at the major league level. Seems guys like Joe Adele, Taylor Trammell, et cetera, are forgotten if they don't make immediate impacts. I love this because there are a lot of guys that were like, you know what I mean? Can't miss. And then they come up and it's a slow acclimatization process. You get acclimated. Acclimatization. Is that right? There's no way that's the word. I think that's the right word acclimatization all right it it has taken him a little bit to get acclimated i gotta um, get acc- yeah yeah there you go i, I gotta get I, acclimated to that word right right adele i think is the perfect answer there yeah i i think i think the ship has sailed on on taylor Trammell being what the the hope once was i don't think the ship has sailed on him being a big leaguer um but i think the ship has sailed on him being an impact big leaguer mm-hmm. joe adele could still be an all-star and I want that to be abundantly clear. Like Joe Adele can still be an all-star. He's 22. He's 22 years old. So I, the definition basically of what this question is, the definition of what was described is called prospect fatigue and prospect fatigue sucks because it causes us to sour on players who were either rushed through their development process, set the bar too high for themselves, right? Like, destroyed high a we're way ahead of their years like let's say anthony volpe struggles this year and has to spend two years in double a now people are a little bit slow like lower on him and it's like oh well volpe never was gangbusters you know right right after his first little stint then we wouldn't have this whole conversation to a degree it's the same thing with Mackenzie gore it's like we're pitting these guys against themselves uh joe adele is 22 going on 23 is a phenomenal athlete made adjustments to his swing wasn't chasing as much. I thought looked good in his big league stint last year. It looked much better and has been great so far this spring. I think that's a guy that is going to be an integral integral part of, of the Angels lineup. And I still expect him to be a very impact regular. 100%. A uh, couple more names on the mound, power pitchers. Michael Kopech, Nate Pearson kind of fit this mold too, right? They haven't fully embraced what they can be at the major league level Pearson you obviously saw you know go through some trials and tribulations and go back down and you know he's just kind of like that that guy that's ready if anybody goes down and then Kopech he was the best swing man in the game and now he's going to get his shot at the starting rotation like both those guys have a lot more in the tank than what they have shown at the big league level um, and and I, again, I think you're 100% right. What, what really ends up hurting them is that we were expecting them to be this superstar out of the gate, and then they weren't. And now we shift our expectations, and we think that they can't get to that superstar level. Sometimes they can't. Right? Like Brendan McKay is never going to get there, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but these guys, the aforementioned guys, they can. Absolutely. Um, there was somebody else that I had my thoughts, and I, I was curious if you think they can get there. Um, another guy is Patino. I think Patino can be really good. He's getting a little fatigued now too. A little bit of prospect fatigue on him too, which is stupid. Talk about another guy that was way ahead of schedule, debuted at like 2021 and 
has been good. Like he's, he's, he's been able to get whiffs. It's just the consistency. Yeah. That that's, an, that's another unfair one to, to me in, in my mind. Yeah. Brian Hayes, another one of those guys. Oh, he's going to be so good this year. If anybody so thinks that Brian Hayes is going to be good, I'm don't. Oh yeah. yeah my other one. Um, do you think Andrew Vaughn can, can totally accomplish? It's tough. Yeah. And we saw I, him get carted off. Yes. Can I be, can I be very, very blunt with you? Yeah. I think the White Sox are fucking that guy. They totally are. I, you don't need to, you don't need to sugarcoat that. Like, I think everybody with the White Sox knows that. Um, and I think they knew that that was a possibility when Eloy Jimenez tore his pack trying to rob a home run. I mean, Look, he I, was nowhere close. He tore his pack. He was out for the majority of the year when everybody thought Eloy was going to hit 50 homers. What the White Sox should have done, and I know hindsight's twenty twenty. They should have just went out and trade. And I know they don't have the best system, but it was better then. They, they should have went out and just traded for, for a, a bat in the meantime or, or tried to figure something out. But rushing the development of your prospects, that's one thing, offensively. Then defensively, throwing him out there in the outfield, uh, which you know I, I, he exceeded expectations, and that's a testament to his work ethic and his acclimation out there. Uh, but it's just not fair to him as he's trying to learn how to hit in the big leagues. <laughs> to, to have to do that and then being out there in the spring man like that's a ball first of all great diving catch for him most outfielders catch that in stride just being honest and most outfielders know if they're not catching that in stride in spring you're not laying out for that thing man like that's the that's the ball that you're like you're just tempering it down a little bit but when you don't have that experience out there you're just kind of going for it you, you're, you're you're just reaction it's fight or flight uh Vaughn shouldn't be out there uh, in terms of the outfield he should be he should have been in the minor leagues before the white Sox were in win now mode. I get it, but it's not fair to Vaughn and, and it's unfortunate. I think he's going to be great. I hope the injury is not serious, yeah. but you need to give this guy a chance to succeed in his own way. So they knew when they grabbed him third, that the bat was bigly ready when he was at Cal. I think everybody knew that, right? Like Andrew Vaughn at Cal was one of the most advanced college hitters that we have ever, ever seen. And that's why a guy that was likely a first baseman and an average one at best defensively went third overall because the bat was that ready right away. Um, okay, yeah, now you got to deal with the best pitching on, on the planet. Um, and oh, by the way, we want you to play left. And now he comes into spring training. Oh, by the way, we want you to play right because we were too cheap to go get Conforto. Yeah, it's tough, man. Like it, that is a tough reality. Um, and, and they're getting burned. They got burned with Eloy, who was a DH that was playing the outfield and will still play the outfield. And they're getting burned with Vaughn, who's a first baseman that could have played left, but instead he's playing right and he's getting carted off in spring training. Imagine if Torque, they're just like, hey, you're playing the outfield. No, like, no, that's <laughs> what the, the minors you're playing did. the outfield. And, and Vaughn was good in the minors out of the gate, but he wasn't tapping into the power yet. Like that's, that's a progression that you see with a lot of really talented hitters. They want to feel it out. Right. And then they start leveraging more and trying to do damage. Like he was still in that phase of his development. The bat was ready to survive in the, in the big leagues. It wasn't ready to thrive in the big leagues. And, and he again, got thrown into fight or flight mode and it really compromised his development. Yeah. Uh, last one. This is from officially Jace. I'd like to hear about some prospects you guys have been super high on that missed. You all seem to have a very good track record. I'd be interested to know if any you may have liked that didn't pan out. I saw that question and I, I was, if, if you didn't put it on, I was actually going to, I was going to bring it up. I think that's perfect because like, obviously you veil all the guys that you were wrong on, but it's kind of fun to look back on guys that you thought were, were can't miss that, 
turned out to be kind of a miss. Yeah. And you know, that's something like there's, there's a level to me uh, on this whole thing too, where like, I remember when I first started really doing the prospect analysis, not to like make it about myself in this question, cause I'm excited to hear yours too, but I always want like to be transparent on this. There was definitely a moment where I was like, okay, I need to build credibility. If I'm wrong, I should just, just move on and try to like sweep it under the rug. But then I realized like, no one's expecting you to be perfect and right on every single player. No, no, no. And if you explain why you were wrong and how you learned from it, maybe that's an opportunity like to, to earn even more trust. And um, honestly, dude, like I, I feel very confident in my track record with, with just like the guys that I've been very adamant about and things like that. Um, two that come to mind though, in terms of like where I was like, Whoa, didn't see it going like that, but the ship hasn't sailed on them yet. So I don't want it to come off like that, but they're definitely not where I thought they would be. Matt Manning won. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Manning, I, I I really, that's a guy, what I learned from that was I talked myself into the narrative more than actually just looking at the player and watching him and looking at the data and just breaking it down, right? I was caught up in the, oh, he hardly pitched in high school. He was a basketball player. He just started focusing on pitching. His command has gotten better through the, every minor league season. And He's going to start throwing harder. Like I talked myself into a narrative rather than just looking at the player, looking at the mechanics, looking at the stuff and, and truly treating it like, like a scouting opportunity. Right. Um, That was a learning opportunity where it's like, yes, the narrative matters sometimes, but it's not defining. Um, The other one for me was, was Alec Bohm. I I was super bullish, super bullish on Bohm. And I even took my freaking victory lap in 2020, like an asshole. Um, Look, I, I don't think the ship has sailed on Bohm either, um, but he's a guy that took a major step back last year. The league adjusted to him. Uh, he's a guy that likes to get extended. He likes to use the whole field, and he, he got blown up inside. Um, I called him I, similar to DJ LeMayhew. Like, that's the sim- similarities I saw, which was that same, you know, drive the ball the other way, uh, hit breaking balls well. But we saw both those guys impacted big time by the, the dead in baseball. I think it was more stuff with DJ as well. And DJ can turn on it when he needs to, he learned that. Um, Boehm needs to learn that that is not aged well for me. I don't know if there's a name that you can think of that I was hyping up that I was wrong on. Um, not but really. Those are the two. Those are the two that come to mind. Another one for me that I thought would make a smoother transition was Daniel Lynch. Um, one yeah. where I ignored the third the lack of third pitch. I talked myself into it um, because I watched him just dominate minor league righties um, yeah. with the breaking ball. It's a different game at the big league level. That was, that was an opportunity watching Lynch pitch those games. Where I was like, it's a different freaking game. Right. hundred um, percent. No, th- those are good ones. I think the, the two guys that I was like all the way sold on, and then I have a tandem for you to wrap First one is Andrew Benintendi. Like I thought he was going to be, and and he did. I think that was 2018 when he was in Boston that he put up like a three and a half, four war season. I was like, okay, yes. Like I'm ready for Benny baseball here. Let's go. When Benintendi won national player of the year, I was like, okay, like this guy is, I mean, he's going to be an all-star for years to come. And then when he shot through the minor leagues, I was like, okay, this guy's going to be an all-star for years to come. And when he gets up, I'm like, we just got to realize full Benny. And then all of a sudden he started to taper off. I was like, oh, what's going on here? And now I, th- I, like, I don't see a high ceiling for him at all anymore. 
No, he's he's a good ball player. He's fine. He's fine. Know? Like, but yeah, that's that's one again. I think the narrative catch, catches you there, and yeah. that happens a lot with college guys too. Like a Dan to be Swanson, who who had a great year last year. But you're right. I mean, that's a guy that went one one. If you, I, I've actually had the opportunity to talk to some people, and uh, you know, on the on the drafting side of things at the big league level, and they're like, that's a guy that just if you looked at him in a vacuum as a player, Bregman was so much better. Forget Vanderbilt, though. Forget everything. You look at him, you're like, that's a good player. He's not 1-1. No, hell but, no, he's not 1-1. But 1-1. what happened is you're watching him light it up. He's He's got the the moxie, as you like to call it. He's a good-looking dude who does a little bit of everything, and he's leading them to a national championship, and he's he's just – he's Dansby Swanson. Like, it just – it all kind of came together. Like, you can't pass on this guy. Right. That's a narrative thing. Like, and that's the funny thing is, is sometimes I get caught up in that. I could see the narrative maybe – maybe biting you a little bit with Ben Benintendi because it was, he, he didn't lead him to a national championship, but he was just lighting everybody the up. Golden and, spikes. It was yeah, like, Oh my yeah. God, this guy can't stop hitting homers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, fastest guy I ever saw in minor league baseball was Victor Robles. Oh. Um, Robles had like the craziest tools I've ever seen. I'm like, this guy can be generational. And then it turns out that he's, a really solid defender and he can still fly, but he just can't hit for shit. So yeah, Robles is my other guy. Um, and then the, the funniest one is I thought the tandem up the middle of JP Crawford and Scott Kingery was the next coming. <laughs> so did the Phillies, bro. They showed out cash. <laughs> I they know. showed out cash for Kingery. Uh, in your defense, Crawford's decent now. Um, you know, I think everybody thought Crawford would be pretty good. Um, yeah. He's all right now, uh, but that, that is a funny one. Yeah. I mean, but you're going with guys that like you, you were like 17, bro, when those guys were coming up, or like 18 when those guys were coming. Well, up. like I, uh, you've been into the analysis and prospecting a lot more than I have. You know what I mean? Like I've kept tabs on these guys, and, and those were ones that I was willing to like put my you know 18 year old stamp of approval on. Like um, I don't know, you've been in this from an analytical standpoint. Uh, far longer than I have. Those were just the guys that I was in love with. Yeah, no, and those are honestly great examples of, especially I loved the an attendee one because I feel like that's exactly what kind of bit me is you just realize it's such a different freaking game. It's oh. like it's like it's like Drew Timmy, right? Like on, oh, on the yeah. college basketball side oh, of yeah. things. Like if if we were young and looking at Timmy and and didn't have experience on the like, oh like, he's gonna go top like, 10 he has like, to. oh my god like look at look at how he uses his pivot feet he's so good around the rim he can shoot it a little bit he's smart he can pass it like you'd be like oh yeah but but the natural you just realize he, he can't he just won't be able to keep up no, it's a different no, game like imagine when Embiid backs him down like fuck <laughs> you for timmy <laughs> you know yeah, what i mean it's a different game um so you know it's 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 really crazy how that works um and you learn a lot from, from the mistakes or from, from the quote unquote misses. Uh, but when I saw that question, I actually texted Colby. I was like, I don't mean to say this like an asshole. I just need help because I'm just always giving so many takes. Are there any bad ones you can think of? And he, he was, he was like, um, Oh, Alec Bohm, you were annoying about him. Yeah. And I was like, all right, that's a fair one. That is <laughs> Cause fair. that was the one I was going to say. Um, but I didn't know if there was, there was another, one. but we'll see like time will tell. Time will tell. There's a few that I could look like an asshole on now. We'll see. Yeah, um, I might look like an asshole on Serda. Serda's my guy. Like yeah. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go down with the, uh, I'm gonna go down on the sword if, if Serda sucks. But I don't think Serda's gonna suck. So no, that's he's, that. He's gonna be, he's gonna be pretty. Good. Uh, this was fun, man. I like talking prospects. This is, always, this is a good time. Always, always. Um, yeah. And last few 
spring training games. I mean, we still have a handful of spring training games left, but I encourage people to one, start watching them because they're fun. Now you're starting to see a lot more big league action, but when the big leaguers are out, you might see the future of your team. I was watching late last night, MJ Melendez against Bruce star Gratterall. Like that's so cool. Oh, two count MJ line shot back up the middle. Last thing I want to talk about is, is this Um, MJ. The plan is it's a crazy schedule plan is to have him uh, on the Wednesday episode of the call up. So look out for that. That's going to be a ton of fun. He's trying to make Monday work. So we're assuming that's going to work, but I don't blame the guy if he has to move because it's so crazy right now. And he's trying to make a freaking big league roster, which is the last thing I want to close out with, because I'm going to, I'm going to say something for my guy, MJ Melendez on this. Um, He said all the right things in an interview, which was, you know, I'll, I'll play wherever I need to play. Uh, he's get they want to give him some reps at third, outfield, first, DH, whatever. Um, he's a plus defensive catcher. I'm not going to get into the Salvi versus MJ thing. I understand what Salvi brings to the table and brings to the dish. The one thing I'll say though with, with MJ, 41 jacks last year in an 18% K rate, and he hit nearly 300. Are you really going to start that guy in AAA because you have Carlos Santana at the big league level? Are you really going to fucking do that? And I'm not just saying that because like. MJ's coming on the show and we're friendly with him. I'm from a pure baseball standpoint. I can zoom out and I can remove bias here for a second. And I'm going to say the same shit. If Bryson Stott is not, is displaced because DD Gregorius is in his Bronx buddy, Joe Girardi, he's playing shortstop. Like I'll be yeah. pissed. What does that, is there any world Jack to close out that MJ Melendez should repeat triple a? No, no, there's there's no world. He he hit 41. He led minor league baseball in homers. Like, yeah, 41. He, there was nobody in minor league baseball that hit more home runs than MJ Melendez. And this is not, you're right. It's not a Perez versus Melendez conversation because Salvador Perez, yeah, he'll be the catcher for as long as the Royals want him to be the catcher. It's up to Salvador Perez to to make the move himself to DH. Be like, hey, MJ's really good been doing a lot of drills with him i think i'm okay moving to dh and having mj catch 50 games and i'll catch the other however many like that's fine um salvi only caught 125 games last year let mj catch the others and have him play first base or third base or dh you're right this is it this is a melendez versus carlos santana and hunter dozier conversation correct and i correct. will absolutely and, and- uh, role with MJ Melendez on that one. Here's the problem. Royals have 10 million or 12 million committed to Carlos Santana. And, you know, I don't think they're going to wear that and say we were wrong. Okay. Do you want to, do you want to win or do you want to uh, get not a bang for your buck? Well, well here's your the buck? problem though. Here's the problem, Jack is, is Melendez has struggled this spring. He's only hitting 429, 500, 714 in his eight games with a home run and only three strikeouts. All right. Minor league opening day, AAA opening day, Omaha is in Indianapolis on April 5th. Oh. If I'm seeing MJ Melendez in Indianapolis on April 5th, uh, we'll talk on May 1st. And you're going to see Nick Prado too. I'll see Prado. Which is so freaking stupid. God, so, I when, hope I don't see win. When you see those two guys, I hope you're ready for my JB show tirade when both those guys are in AAA to start the season. I am excited that you get to see them though. Um, yeah. And I might even come out for that game. Like I'm not even good, man. I might even come out for that game, but I mean, that's, I just wanted to put that out there. If you gave out a bad contract, don't just keep them out there because you don't want to admit you are wrong. You have much better options, literally just waiting 
to perform. But MJ props to him for saying all the right things in the interview on the MLB.com piece. Um, and the guy just wants to, to play. That's Arm Layton. I'm Jack McMullen. MLB Network's Robert Flores joins us on the Just Baseball Show tomorrow. We'll talk to you then.